0: Welcome to the service this morning, uh, to you who are here and also to the uh, members of this congregation and this fellowship who are at home watching. I hope that we feel one in the family of Christ this morning because while some are here and some are at home, we are all part of the same fellowship and it is good that we worship together and it is good that we are together. So I hope that this hour will be a time when not only are we able to uh, meet with each other here, but we can also remember and think of all those that we know who are at home, who are watching, uh, who are taking part there. The Lord is gracious, his steadfast love is everlasting, and his faithfulness endures from generation to generation. A wonderful verse uh, to think about uh, through the morning. The night has passed and the day lies open before us. Let us pray with one heart and mind. As we rejoice in the gift of this new day, so may the light of your presence O God, set our hearts on fire with love for you now and forever. Amen. I've chosen three songs for us to sing now as we commence our, our worship this morning. They are not long. They are fairly short. And I've asked that we sing them through twice each. They are songs which mean much to to us, and people coming this morning are coming with various needs, thoughts, anxieties, worries, some people with depression, some people fearing for the morrow, some people fearing for what will happen this week. And so as we come and we sing and we bring our thoughts and our prayers quietly to you in, in in these songs... May we bring our own problems, our own anxieties, our own happiness, our own joy uh, to this God who who is encompassing and whose arms and hands hold us uh, in safety. So let's uh, sing, uh, and we'll start with Now is the Time to Worship. Before our God, as we see Him, wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So, as we are gathered, let's bring our thoughts and our prayers together. <laughs> The glory of the risen Lord. Who can compare with the beauty of the Lord? And as we come and as we sing together, all heaven declares, as we have concerns and anxieties today, as we have our emotions that are perhaps causing us to uh, fear or to be uh, uncomfortable, let us know, let us be here before the throne. Let us kneel before the throne of the creator, everlasting, faithful God. All heaven declares the glory of the risen Lord. Responsive reading, um, which we'll have on the screen. Lord, open our lips. Our mouths your, your light springs up for the righteous. And all the sing for glory. Blessed are you, sovereign God, King of the nations, to you be praise and glory forever. From the rising of the sun to its setting, your name is proclaimed in all the world. As the sun of righteousness dawns in our hearts, anoint our lips with the seal of your spirit, that we may witness to your gospel and sing your praise in all the earth. Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Blessed Blessed be God it. So let's join together and, and sing a, a wonderful hymn. Um, Jesus shall reign wherever the sun does his successive journeys run. I think this is a, a wonderful hymn to, uh, to remember this morning, to sing together uh, as we start this, this service. So uh, Jesus shall reign wherever the sun.
1: So to our reading from the book of Psalms, a joyous declaration of gratitude. So Psalm 100, starting at verse 1. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who has made us Continues through all generations. Amen.
0: Thank you, Marion. I'm going to put a, or we're going to put a, a slide up on the screen, um, which is you can just see it um, behind this 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 uh, this verse. It's actually a slide of Christ the Redeemer. Now I'm sure all of you know uh, Christ the Redeemer, the statue, you'll have seen it uh, perhaps in, in, uh, in person and been there uh, and gone up the, uh, the mountain in the train and stood at the feet of Christ the Redeemer. Uh, you may have seen it on television, uh, you'll certainly have seen pictures of it. It's uh, an amazing statue, it's uh, 98 feet high, uh, it's on a plinth of 25 feet so it's pretty big. Uh, and it's, uh, it, it stands on a mountain overlooking Rio de Janeiro. It, it was started in 1922. It took them nine years to build it. And uh, they, they put scaffolding up all around it for the workmen to, uh, to climb on. Uh, and when you look over the edge uh, of where the statue is, you, you wonder how they managed to do it without any injuries or without any deaths, because they managed to do it. It's uh, it's concrete inside. It's made of soapstone, and the interesting thing is, um, it's interlocking. Interlocking parts of soapstone on the outside, so that the whole is this wonderful picture of Christ, and interestingly, his hands are pierced. And they put this together, uh, in fact, as a as a uh, uh, as a celebration of um, uh, Brazil's 100 years freedom from Portugal. But in fact it's more than that of course because people go there uh, to see it and to have their photographs taken and to, uh, to marvel but actually uh, when one looks at that, that statue uh, of Christ on this mountain with his arms outstretched and the nailed hands uh, it's more than just a statue it's a replica for many people but behind it is the message that uh, Christ stepped from heaven to earth. Uh, He came into this world uh, to bring hope. He came to bring uh, forgiveness uh, through the cross. And so when you see that picture, when I see that statue, when I went there and stood there and looked at it, it was more than just a statue. It was the God of love, the God of hope who came, the God of peace who puts his hands out and says, come to me, um, all ye that need me. And so uh, I think that as, as, as one's thinking of that statue and thinking of what it represents, we think of the God who thought of his people or thought of this earth and, and, and those who live here and said, I'm going to give you a way uh, for eternal life. I'm going to forgive your sins. I'm going to send my son uh, to uh, preside over you, to, to hang on that cross and to raise his hands for us. So let's sing the song Light of the World because this explains, I think, what it was about uh, and what we are here for this morning to worship this God who uh, is worthy of our praise but who thought of the way that he could redeem us and give us uh, hope and and, uh, uh, promise of eternal life. So let's sing Light of the World
2: Some more scripture as we read Psalm 145. Which reminds me, I had a friend who, for part of his working life, uh, was a teacher in a boarding school, and that meant on Sunday mornings he had to go to the school chapel. And I remember asking him on one occasion, What's it like? So he says, Well, let me tell you, the best part of the service is the scripture reading. So that puts it in perspective, doesn't it? And whilst we look, as Baptists, we tend to think the sermon is the great thing, and we're looking forward to what Stuart's got to say but it's second to the scriptures. (laughs) (laughs) I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendour of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim, proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness, and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Will you join me in prayer now? If there's uh, an uh, overlying theme, it's neighbourliness. Our Father in heaven, we are your people long to be your obedient servants, but recognising we so often fail. We come to worship you and lay our anxieties for the world and our friends before you. The Lord Jesus taught us that whoever is in need is our neighbour, and that we are to be salt, bringing flavour to the life of our society. So we pray for our neighbours who live or work or trade near this building. Lord, we ask that they may be protected in health, prosper in work and business, and that so far as it is possible, we may be good neighbours to them. We pray for play school, who offer care and instruction to many local children, that they may learn of your love for them. May your love and peace be active in their homes. Lord, help us to be good neighbours to those who live around us. May we be the sort of people they are glad to encounter, Give us the appropriate words of witness and encouragement as opportunity arises. And for those in special need in health or other anxiety, help us to be discerning and sensitive to their need and to be a blessing to them. Father, we pray for nearby churches. May we hold each other in respect as brothers and sisters in Christ who died for them. We think particularly of the fellowships at Rehoboth and St Leonard's and ask that you will make all of us signposts to yourself. Lord, we believe you to be the God of history and we see strife and tension between neighbouring countries. Lord, we pray that the fragile peace between Russia and the Ukraine may be maintained. Please prosper the efforts of mediating diplomats. Please protect the Yemeni people caught up in the destruction of their land. Finally, we ask for suffering families and individuals among our fellowship. We long for them healing and restoration, and strength and comfort for those who love them. Help us to feel and share their pain. Father, hear our prayer in Jesus' name, that you may have all the glory.
0: The um, reading that pertains to why we're here this morning, which is uh, to listen to uh, uh, the, uh, the wise words uh, that are going to be uh, shed for us, uh, is that concerning a man called Nicodemus. And uh, in John chapter 3, verses 1 to 15, we hear about this man. At a particular time in his life. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, And the spirit Flesh gives birth to flesh But the spirit gives birth to spirit You should not be surprised at my saying You must be born again The wind blows wherever it pleases You hear its sound But you cannot tell where it comes from Or where it is going So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. So before Stuart comes to speak to us, perhaps we could sing, I know not why God's wondrous grace to me hath been made known. And uh, you'll see in one of the verses, I know not how the Spirit moves, convincing men of sin, revealing Jesus through the word, creating faith in him. So let's sing. I know not why God's wondrous grace to me hath been made known. to Stuart um, Davidson. he's, he's the, um, the equivalent of a bishop in the Baptist <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, he, he, he looks after the Southeastern Baptist Association which is a very large association um, and he comes to us having been several times before um, and uh, we welcome you Stuart so uh, let's hear you thank you very much David, good morning
3: It's a joy to be with you again. And may I start by bringing you the greetings of the rest of the Baptist family here in the Southeast, the 150 or so churches that make up SEBA, the Southeastern Baptist Association. And uh, may I ask that uh, in your prayers, you remember one or two folks at the moment through the association. Um, Last year, one of our ministers died. Uh, I'm sure some of you are aware of that. Uh, Steve down at Arundel, so do please remember to pray for his widow, uh, Jill. And also, just before Christmas, Ray Orr's wife died. Um, He was the minister at um, Shoreham. And uh, so Ruth uh, had her home call. So please remember Ray in your prayers. Um, And of course, coming here... Not only am I no stranger, uh, but uh, of course you've got people like David and Carol around the place who who are also no strangers to Siba, so it's good to be here. Um, I told my friend she drew her eyebrows too high. She seemed surprised. (laughs) You know, when I see lovers' names carved in a tree, I don't think, oh, that's sweet. I'm just surprised at how many people bring knives to a date. <laughs> Life can have its surprises, can't it? Um, I went on Friday to have a filling replaced because it had fallen out uh, after Christmas, and... Uh, Came home rather in a lot of pain because he'd actually had to extract the tooth. Um, That came as a surprise. There are nice surprises in life and there's some not so nice surprises in life. And I think that Nicodemus went to this encounter with Jesus and it wasn't quite what he was expecting. It was a surprise to him. You see, in the next chapter Jesus encounters as I'm sure you'll be going on next week to discover, the, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And what a surprise that was for her. And the way that worked out. But it's, I always find it so interesting that when he's talking to her he talks about theology. But here, he's talking to a theologian and talks to him about life change. Yeah, it's Not what Nicodemus was quite expecting. So who was Nicodemus and why did he come to Jesus? Well, there are clues in when he came, in his words and his demeanour. He came at night when no one else was around. Now, This, of course, may have been just the difficulty of finding time in the day to get close to Jesus. Or was he being furtive and came to Jesus and he didn't want anybody else in the circles that he mixed in to see him coming to talk to Jesus? He calls Jesus Rabbi, and it's clear that Jesus had not gone the right route to get this title. He hadn't gone to theological college. He wasn't recognized. And yet he calls him rabbi. Was he being patronizing? He says, we know. (laughs) Is he speaking on behalf of himself? Or he and others and feels able to speak on behalf of others Of course, there are, hey, we know this in church, don't we? There are always those who say, we know, we think, when what they mean is, I know, I think, but I'm trying to include a few other people in the church because I'm having a whinge. You know, you know that one? This church isn't any different to any others, is (laughs) it? There is a presumption here in Nicodemus. You see, Nicodemus was pretty well set. There could be few Jews in Jerusalem with as good a set of credentials as Nick. He was a devout Orthodox Jew, a Pharisee and a member of the ruling council, the Sanhedrin. In fact, quite similar to the set of credentials that Paul uses of himself later on. Yet Paul was to come to see that these set of credentials are as rubbish <laughs> compared to knowing the, surprise, the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. Philippians 3. Now, this is not a party political comment, but there seems to be politicians who think they have done nothing wrong when they betray their wives, their families, and their position. And who give money and position to friends whilst denying health workers and the poor the support they need. We have seen recently a set of people who think they are above the rules which govern other people's lives, some of which they themselves have set. Prime Ministers, multi-millionaire tennis players, presidents, princes. You see, Nicodemus was in a position of being presumptuous about his position. And we've got a lot of that going on in our society today. Let us not be careful of being presumptuous of our position 1 Corinthians 10 says, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Our position is secure in Christ, not in who we are and what we've made of ourselves or what other people have left us. So, when we look at Nicodemus, who he was and how he comes to this encounter... Does it matter how and why we come to meet with Jesus? You know, I was uh, taking a carol service before Christmas at a church. And uh, after the service, I had two encounters with two men who were in the church congregation. The first was only there because he'd come to help the church secretary put the chairs out. But had an encounter with Jesus in a carol service. The other one was the husband of a member of the church. And he came to me and said, you know, normally if I go to church to support my wife, I get bored. But not today. You see, does it matter how and why we come to meet with Jesus? No, because Jesus turns up. He has this habit of being there when people, no matter what their motivations, come looking for a possible encounter with Jesus. People have come to things to disprove them. And encountered something which has changed them. Now I'm sure... Let's see if this is going to work for me. There, right. Thank you. I'm sure most of you have seen the film Ben-Hur. It's a very long film. But... You see, Ben-Hur, the writer of Ben-Hur, was General Lew Wallace. And he maintained throughout his life that the experience of writing this book, which later on got made into a fear, led him gradually to become a Christian. He didn't start off like that. But he encountered Jesus in the making, or the telling of a story that was about Jesus. Maybe um, back in the day, uh, when I had a weekly show on Radio Luxembourg... Remember Radio Luxembourg? Lying under the bedclothes at night with a little tranny radio. (laughs) Well, I used to be on there. And um, one of the people I interviewed for Radio Luxembourg was this lady, hopefully. There we go. Helen Shapiro, walking back to happiness. Remember? Remember? But Helen was delightful. She was a, she's a Jewess. And her manager was a Christian. And he was never heavy on her about his faith. But she knew where he stood. And if she asked questions, he would answer them. And uh, one day she decided, well, he keeps telling you about this Bible and what's in this Bible, but that's the Christian Bible and he may tell me that there are things about Jesus in my Bible but I better go and check it out for myself so she went into a Jewish bookshop and she said to the man have you got an Old Testament and he said how old do you want (laughs) because that is all their scriptures but she read it for herself and encounter Jesus and she's now a wonderful messianic jew follower of Jesus Steve Brown once got into a conversation about the christian faith with the sound engineer sound engineer <coughs> excuse me who'd been recording an interview that he'd just given for the radio Steve suddenly realised that he had to be somewhere else. So he gave the engineer his card. And on the back of it, wrote the names of a couple of Christian books, which he thought the man might find helpful. He said, "'Call me when you've read these books, and we'll talk again.' The man thanked him, and Steve turned to go. And as he was walking out of the studio, the sound engineer called after him, "'Hey, Reverend, I don't think I'm going to read these books.' Why not? Steve said. You're asking all the right questions. Yeah, you're right, but I don't want to read them. Because if I read them, I might find out you're right. And if you're right, I've got to change. And I don't want to change. You see, we can have an encounter with Jesus and want it to just pass by. Lee Strobel. Was an atheist investigative journalist in America. And uh, in the case for Christ, he writes about the objections to Christianity and deals with them because he became a Christian. And he's now one of the leaders of Willow Creek Community Church just outside Chicago. There's a guy called Frank Morrison who was a newsman who set out go on, fill the, there we go fill the picture up and uh, he, uh, he set out to disprove the resurrection of Jesus instead of achieving his goal, he found the overwhelming weight of evidence supported the historicity of the resurrection, eventually he became a follower of Christ and wrote, who moved the stone?" You see, we can, we can have an encounter with Jesus that is very different to the one we were expecting. All these four are examples of that, that people who went uh, thinking, they'd already made up their mind, they knew what the answer was going to be. But when they met Jesus, it was very different to what they thought it was going to be. And I think that's still true for us today, isn't it? We have ideas about what Jesus is going to be, and we discover he's a much, much bigger Jesus than we thought. Of course, this passage that we read, we got as far as verse fifteen. So I do know that is. Uh, but verse sixteen is probably the, one of the best-known verses of the Bible, isn't it? If we'd gone on to the next verse. For God so loved the world, God, you can say it with me, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's a great verse, isn't it? It's actually been changed now. Not the verse hasn't been changed, but it used to be the number one best-known verse in the Bible. It's been replaced by a verse from Jeremiah now. Uh, he knows the plans he has for you, plans for good, which is totally taken out of context and uh, I'm not going to go down that road (laughs) this morning, but this verse is wonderful, isn't it? It's a wonderful, wonderful verse. But even this verse gets misused. You see, I've had the privilege of preaching in many different countries and going around the world and preaching and, and seeing people's lives transformed. But I know that I've made the same mistake that many others have made when I say to people, put your name in there. For God so loved Stuart. For God so loved David. For God so loved Tim that he gave his only begotten son. That's not what the verse says. It says, for God so loved the cosmos. That's what it says. That's much, much bigger than me. Amen? It's much, much bigger than you. Yes, we're included in that, but this is staggeringly big. We reduce the gospel too easily to it being about me. And it's about something much, much bigger than me. It's his world, and he was given to restore it to himself. See, we are not owners of this world. We are stewards of this world. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And we have the the psalm read to us earlier that was about the glories, the wonders of God's creation. The gospel affects everything. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. The whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. See, as Christians, we should be in the forefront of bringing refreshment to the world. Restoration to God's earth. See, Western society has a narrative that says God, the world, other people, and creatures should be viewed from the perspective of me. It's all about me. How does it serve me? My needs need satisfying without consideration of the exploitation of people and the planet in producing the goods that we consume. Brothers and sisters, we cannot go on consuming the resources, not caring about the slaves and the sweatshops who make our cheap clothes. Eating non-fair trade food. Buying stuff from Amazon because it's cheaper. I don't know whether you saw the report um, towards the end of last year on Amazon's policy of throwing stuff into landfill sites because it's cheaper than keeping them on their shelves. Thousands of goods every week are thrown away. Televisions, computers, because it's cheaper to throw them away. We can't continue to use the fossil fuels and not recycle the aluminium and the steel and fill our countryside and our oceans with plastic. Yes, we have got to help the rest of the world with our foreign aid budget and giving them vaccines and stop exploiting their resources for our own needs. This pandemic will not be over until we care enough about the rest of the world having the vaccines not just us see that's what we're doing to the world that we live in there's a turtle there in plastic there's a beach there just covered in plastic and the the top left picture is actually after a pop festival the young people who care about the future of the planet that's what they left behind after the Reading Festival, it took them longer to clear up the site than it did to have the festival. See, we still haven't got this message across. And for us as Christians, this should be very important to us, for God so loved the world, not just me. And therefore it is Christian that we should be driven to care about his creation and to do something about it. And sadly, it's often evangelical Christians who miss the point. Trevor Dennis tells the story of Noah and the Ark. You all know the story, don't you? Well, he tells it a bit like this. I think his insight into the nervousness and concerns of the animals reflects something of how many are feeling at the moment with the pandemic. The animals had come to feel lonely, abandoned, helpless. How long would this last? Might it never end? Fear had taken hold of them. Even the tigers had confessed their terror one night and had shaken uncontrollably for hours. The animals had huddled together, suddenly aware of how small the ark was. Then one morning one of the antelopes, staring harder at the water than usual and listening to the peculiar sigh of the wind, had said softly, I know where we are. The animals turned and looked at her. And she said, I understand why the humans are so ashamed and keep behind their cabin doors. We are adrift on the ocean of God's tears. After a long silence among the animals, after a long silence among the animals had developed further, the otter said, then we must dry God's tears. <coughs> so, Nick, Nicodemus, May have come for a little chat in a dark corner. But his encounter with Jesus was to be given a glimpse of the enormity of the gospel. Some people flinch from the gospel as it is sometimes presented as being too small, too just about me, not the problems of the world. I've known people, often men, who think it should be more challenging. And it is. Surprise, surprise. This gospel is bigger than Nicodemus. Or the Jewish people. Or even just the people of this planet. So back to Nicodemus. <laughs> ye must be born again. George Whitfield often preached from this passage, using the text, ye must be born again. One day someone said to him, Mr. Whitfield, why do you preach so often? About this new birth? His immediate reply was, Because ye must be born again. (laughs) It is now that Jesus speaks to Nicodemus in the area that should have been his area of expertise. You see, in verse 10, he says to him, You are Israel's teacher, and you do not understand these things. Challenging Nicodemus, almost incredulous that Nicodemus, with his background, doesn't understand what's going on. Nicodemus was supposed to know the Scriptures, or the Old Testament, as we might say. (laughs) Ezekiel A day of cleansing and power was prophesied and had now come. And Nicodemus should have known it and been expecting it. Instead of it going whoosh, when it came to it. The cleansing baptism of repentance leads to the new life of the Spirit. Remember, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. The Pharisees had refused John's baptism of repentance. So here he is being challenged twofold. How many folk, when challenged with the claims of Christ, think they don't need repentance nor to be filled with the Spirit? We are called into a new life, into a new kingdom. Verse five tells us that no one can <coughs> enter the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Will you bear with? It? I'm nearly finished. Before we start panicking about the time, <coughs> I just want to. Can I just illustrate this? Imagine that we're not here at the moment. We're across in another part of Europe. And over there is Germany. And here is France. And we're going to go for a journey from France into Germany. you with me? Okay. Think back a few years ago when you needed a passport to get across. (coughs) I'm so sorry. Tickle in my throat. It's not coronavirus. (laughs) I did my... do almost daily checks at the moment. <clears throat> so if you're going on a journey from France to Germany, the, further, the nearer you get to the border, the less it feels like France. If you've ever done that journey, you'll know that you start off and it's all French wine, you know, Duvan Du Pin du Bossin. And uh, and the nearer you get to Germany, the more influence of Germany starts to be apparent. You start to get a few more German wines, you start to get a bit of uh, German sausage for sale, and, and so on. But then when you've gone over the border, there is still some French influence left from behind you. Yeah? So you come into this new land, but actually, you'll find there's still an awful lot of French wine for sale, and French cheeses, as well as the German sausage. But the further you go in, the less the French influence is there. Are you with me? Okay. Okay. So, now let's change that from going from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. When you're on that journey and you're encountering Jesus, you will find that the nearer you get to the kingdom of light, the influences of the kingdom of light start to influence your life. When you've gone into the kingdom of light, there are still some influences from the kingdom of darkness that are pertaining to your life. Yes, you've been there? Yeah, And you have to go further in <laughs> to make sure that you are walking more and more with Jesus in his kingdom. Now, some people will go from France to Germany and they will go over the border control and show their passport and get it stamped. Well, that's how they used to before the EU. Right? Others will go over the mountaintop, come down the other side, and they know that they were in France and they're now in Germany but they can't tell you when they crossed the border. Because it doesn't tell you that all the way over the tops. You still with me? That's why some Christians know that they used to be in the kingdom of darkness and they know the day they became a Christian and they know that they are now in the kingdom of light. Other Christians know that they were in the kingdom of darkness and they went up and over the top and now they're in the kingdom of light. But they can't tell you what date they became Christian. Yeah? And I'm pretty sure there will be people here this morning who can say, I gave my life to Jesus on such and such a date, and I know when it happened. Hallelujah. Yeah? Slight aside by the moment. Um, We were teaching one of my grandchildren, two-year-old Isla, uh, a song about Hallelujah uh, yesterday, and she came out with, Happy Lula! I thought it was great. Anyway, uh, you see, Christians we sometimes know the date hallelujah some of us don't know the date but we know that we used to be in one kingdom and now we're in the other but the important thing is you've been born again and you're now in that kingdom even if you don't know the date that it happened and so an encounter with jesus you may have come to meet with jesus for all sorts of different motivations and reasons But you will find that an encounter with Jesus will be literally mind-blowing because it was for Nicodemus. This was not what he expected. But encountering Jesus was to change his life. We find a few chapters later on that he is standing up and defending Jesus in the Sanhedrin. And a few chapters later on he's helping Joseph to bury Jesus. So this encounter with Jesus was to, transfer his, to, to transform his life. Once we've met with Jesus, we will never be the same again. We are to be those who are born again of the Spirit of God. If you haven't had that experience, whatever your reasoning for being here this morning, I would say Jesus can totally change who you are. you're prepared to meet with him today and if you do know this Jesus may I ask you to realize that this gospel is a lot bigger than we sometimes proclaim because he died for the world for the cosmos not just for me I haven't been saved so that I know that one day my passport's going to get stamped when I get to heaven (laughs) I'm going to get in We're to be those who are busy changing the world today. Not relying on some little girl from Sweden to do it. But you and I. So loving our God and respecting his creation that we will know that we are not owners of this world. We're stewards. It's not ours to do what we want with. It's ours to take care of. And in the name of Jesus look after. Amen? Well, Nick came seeking. Christianity takes us to new places. It allows us to question. Jesus challenges us to look at ourselves afresh, at our world, and at the difference that we are supposed to make and can make. We are those who are to be born of the water and the Spirit. Amen.
0: Thank you, Stuart, for the challenge and for the uh, opportunity to think about our our lives and our planet. There is a higher throne than all this world has known, where faithful ones from every tongue will one day come. He'll wipe each tear-stained eye as thirst and hunger die. The The Lamb becomes our shepherd kin. We'll reign with him. Shall we close by singing, There is a higher throne, than all this world has known. you lord for your challenges thank you for your presence thank you for the fact that we can come to a god who loves who died on that cross for all and for this whole world and just ask now that you will go with us to our homes bless us this day bless those who we love and we just ask that you will take us through this week leading us all the way we ask this in jesus name Amen. Amen. <laughs> Thank you.